a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Here we are, another day of recording. I want to know, what are you guys drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking a double bag of Celestial Seasonings Jam and Lemon Ginger because it's delicious. and it's. Do you exactly, just like strong it's, tea? Wow. Is that why you double bag? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. I, I do. I don't like bitter tea. Like, I'm not like a leave the English breakfast in there for like 10 minutes kind of person. But like, yeah, if it's right. especially if it's an herbal tea, I like the taste. Mm. Also, fun fact, because uh, I don't think we've mentioned it on here, but Celestial Seasonings totally started by a cult back in the day. Fun fact. Oh, that's Look fun. It up. Nice. The Methodists have- Not anymore, but- Welch's grape juice, and then the cultists have Celestial Seasonings. Yep. I like that. I am drinking oh, my delightful friends that we play D&D with- Surprised me for my birthday and got me a bottle of 14-year-old Oban single malt scotch whiskey. It's from the West Highlands of Scotland. And I actually haven't had any yet, so I'm going to have my first sip on mic and tell you what it's like. Oh, oh, that is very, <laughs> that is, oh my gosh, I love scotch whiskey. We should know this about me by now, but oh. We should. It's a light, it's a, it's a light Highland whiskey. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan. So thank you to my friends for my birthday. I have a second mug on my table today. Cause I am also sipping on some hot tea. This is the honey lavender by Yogi tea. What are you drinking, Emily? I'm drinking an Alpine cider. It's from a brewing company Ooh. in Salem, Oregon. And it's a cider that's a really nice balance of sweet and sour, which Mm, is nice mm because I don't want it to be overly sweet, but I don't want it to be like overly hard and sour. But this is like right in the middle. And it's exactly what this mama needs for (laughs) a teething baby. So there you go. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) You're in it now. That is the mark of a good cider, sweet and sour. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's what I Mm. that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, shout out time. We do have a new patron in our supporting community. My good friend Lazare has joined the ranks. I was on the phone with him when he signed up. (laughs) Wow. So uh, thank you, Lazare. Thank you. Welcome in, friend. Awesome. You are more than welcome. You should have a link at this point to join the Discord community if that so interests you. We have. Plenty of like very vulnerable, honest, open conversations with our friends. Mm-hmm. One such friend uh, that we get to feature today, actually. So excited. We're doing something new in 2022 and we are having our, we're, we're opening up the table to the patrons to submit topics for us once a month. And today we have the distinct pleasure of featuring our friend Danelle. So... Uh, without further ado, we have a voice message from Danelle that she left us earlier today, and this will get us started on our new topic. Hi, my name is Danelle, and I'm a Patreon member of the Ravel community. I love our Discord and all the conversations we have there. I'm honored to be able to ask a question for you guys, and it's regarding mental health. Growing up Catholic, I was told that some of my mental health issues were because of personal sin and I needed to look inward in order to fix it. And then later on, being diagnosed as bipolar, uh, I learned all about hyper-religiosity, which can be a form of mania that you get uh, that makes you feel 
highly connected to the spiritual side of life. I've searched long and hard on how to connect my mental illness that I struggle with and have struggled with my whole life with why God allows this to be in us, first of all, and also how we can allow his love to heal us, I guess. Thanks for answering. Thanks, Danelle. I think that that is such a perfect encapsulation of like the complexity of mental health and faith. Like, obviously, it's from like a growing up Catholic perspective, but absolutely. Wow. Like, okay, so this makes me think of if you don't mind if I just like take the ball rolling here. Absolutely. Go right ahead. So the week, I think it was the week before this week, the Passion Conference has been going on in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And one of the things I've seen like a lot of takes on it on Twitter and TikTok recently. And one of the things that it made me think of personally is that I think that the conference high is the closest I've ever felt to an actual manic state. Whoa. Okay. Mm. Like I know not everybody gets super, super into it, but like, I think that I've heard many Christians talk about the effect of like going to like conference or camp or like, like whatever it is, is like the mountain, like the spiritual high, like they admit that it's a spiritual high and that like when you come home, there's going to be a valley, but like that's depression. Like Mm -hmm. that is not Hmm. like, (laughs) Oh wow. Like since I have not been going to conferences and camps on a at least annual basis, I do not feel that like wild fluctuation of emotional state with maybe the exception Mm. of seasonal depression Mm. being in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Valid. But, like, it's definitely not to the extent that it was when, like, with what I think Danelle is hinting about, like, with this hyper-religiosity that can be a manic state. That's so true. Mm. I was struck, I was so struck by the the idea of faith leaders and faith elders in her life growing up telling her that mental illness struggles were the result of sin, like, personal sin. That tugged on my heart in so many ways yeah yeah what do you think of that Uh, well the first thing i thought of was i want to know who those people are uh, because i'd love to have a conversation (laughs) with them emily wants to go full-on mama bear (laughs) i do okay what would you say to them that right there first off that is a big no-no in pastoral care and counseling you never Mm. attribute illness or grief or anything in that realm to personal sin never you Mm. never do that because that just creates this snowball effect of doubt and shame and guilt that that person is going to struggle getting out of for a very long time Mm. and that can actually start a spiritual emergency like they Mm. can fall into spiritual crisis because of it yeah and as someone who is to provide care in a spiritual sense we need to be mindful of their mental state and we cannot always link spirituality and mental illness as cause and effect yes Hmm. it's more it's more of a relational of i'm trying to think the best way to describe it They can influence one another, but it is not a cause and effect relationship. Like your Mm. sins do not cause mental illness or Mm. your mental Mm. illness does not cause you to sin. Like people sin all the time, if we're going to use that language. Mm. And there are people who are not mentally ill who sin. So you can't say that your mental illness is the driving force behind that. When you start using language like personal sin and and basically language that's attacking the person they can't heal they can't grow they can't turn in their faith to find guidance or to find healing and comfort instead Mm. they see that as the thing that's pushing them away or the thing that's actually harming them yeah and so they're going to be super sensitive like i had a woman come into my office this was probably like almost a year ago 
And same situation where she struggles with bipolar and she was told by her mother that because she struggles with bipolar, like she's going to hell and she needs to repent of her sins. Holy crap. And she was trying to deal with that. She was trying to understand how do you deal with that? And I had to try to get her off of that cliff of Mm. that's not like that's not the case. Mm. And there's a lot of rebuilding that comes with that. And it is not always successful. And that's what's heartbreaking. So I, I just I feel for you so deeply in this moment. And if you ever want to speak to someone or feel like you can speak to someone in that profession like me or you find a pastor or an elder or someone that you trust, take that time to rebuild faith in that person or in that identity to talk to them. Because I can understand not trusting anyone in that field in Mm. trying to talk about something like that because that is very hurtful, very hurtful indeed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I think of the way that being taught that at a young age I know for me the effects of of conversations like that. Now I I don't struggle with mental illness myself beyond you know like the seasonal version that Josh mentioned like when when it hits this time of year where it's dark when I arrive at work and it's dark when I leave work I call it the dark times and I'm prone, <laughs> I am prone to some uh depressive moments but I I truly feel as if I am like as neurotypical as you get. Mm. But I relate so much to oh, just that like that inner child who just wants to know that they're not broken and that they're okay. And what mm. being taught like, oh, it's a result of personal sin. You just got to figure your shit out, man. Like mm-hmm. what that turned into for me is like, a religious scrupulosity, like rule following mm. to a T to make sure that I wasn't walking myself into something that was just going to perpetuate itself. Like I, I truly believe like the inner child in me wrapped an entire Enneagram one personality around the fear of being deficient somehow. And that the, the, the things that were happening to me were a result of things that I had done that made God angry. Hmm. And that is, yeah, when, when I first heard Danelle's message in Discord, like, I mean, I got goosebumps just for the fact of, you know, we've been hanging out as like text-based avatars in Discord, but hearing someone's voice was just so cool to me. It was so uplifting. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. Mm. That, that's, that's what struck home for me was like. Why Why are we doing this, especially to children? Why are we t- trying to tie something that's that's happening to them or that's part of them? And we don't know why it's part of them yet, but like, why would we ever tie that to some easy write-off behavioral, like, oh, it must be sin. Move along, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Do either of you feel like there is any sort of like inherent conceptual clash between like concepts of sin or a salvation, et cetera, no matter what you believe about that and the concepts of psychology and disorders. Because like for me, like growing up in Christianity, I was not very psychologically informed. Like I think that I was, I think that like I even encountered some stigma around counseling and therapy like you go to counseling because something is wrong Mm, mm -hmm, Um, but like even like I do have a psychology degree and yes I love learning about cults but I'm certainly not an expert in religious trauma or psychological eval but even though I think I experienced some personal clash in like these are very different concepts I don't think I've ever felt like there's a clash between the concepts like as in like they're not useful together like emily i really like the way that you put it like that they can that there can be a relationship in our like personal actions and our mental health but like that doesn't mean they're direct causation right but do you feel like there's any sort of like conceptual clash i guess Hmm. because one of the things danelle made me think of is like i almost wonder if people who say that granted i've never heard this from someone but 
I almost wonder if people who say, no, your sin is causing that. I almost wonder if they don't believe in the idea of disorders. Oh, wow. Like if they're trying to actually argue, no, you don't have a disorder. Those are the symptoms of your sin. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's that feels way too similar to like, oh, it's not a disorder. It's a literal demon to me. Like, yes, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I have more of a problem with that. Right. But yes. they, they, they feel so closely related to me. Like it's something about like denying the reality of even chemical imbalance in the brain gives us mental disorders, gives us mental illness. Like that is a that is a chemical thing that scientists can measure. Yes. And yet we're just going to ignore the fact that that exists and say like, well, I'm a I'm a Bible believing Christian who thinks those are actually demons and it's convenient that the chemicals line up. Mm-hmm. I've definitely literally heard people rebuke the demons of anxiety and depression. Yeah. Which is funny because that's not in the Bible. No. What do you think about that, Emily? That, that like denialism <laughs> around it. I unfortunately know that it's very prominent, especially with more conservative faith traditions. And that's because oh, I want to be careful about how I phrase this. It's primarily found in those conservative faith traditions because the relationship between spirituality and science is not as cohesive. Mm. It's very it's very polar. So like they they do see one another, but they're very far and stretched out. Yeah. So it's not as blended. And I know at least out here, for sure, if if you suffer from mental health issues or you suffer a mental illness, you pray about it. You don't see a therapist um, because talking about your feelings and talking about your problems doesn't always fix it. But if you if you turn it to God, turn it over to God then God will fix it. That's very much the mentality of fixing your problems is just turn it over to God, pray about it, or it's, it's meant to be because it's God's will. That's the other part I've heard. And oh. that is scary. That is... Yeah, f- that. That is a life-hindering theology right there. Mm. That is not life-giving whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I feel like the, the psychological denialism is almost more implicit in those traditions than it is in something mm-hmm. like Scientology. Like Scientology is very anti-psychology and psychiatry. Mm. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the Christian counseling movement? Oh. <laughs> yes. Wow. Like, I feel like that totally came out of what you're talking about, Emily. Like the like assumption to theologize about our mental health struggles, which I think is totally valid. Like, of course you can mm-hmm. like theologically make sense of it, I think, but I think that that's where the Christian counseling movement came from, right? Mm. I I would say largely in part, absolutely. Yeah, maybe it just helps solve some form of cognitive dissonance of like, oh, I mean, it is therapy, but don't worry, it's with a biblically based counselor. Well, because Christian counseling was a really huge movement in like the 60s, like late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about what was happening in that time. Yeah, contextualize it for us. Like what was happening culturally? You know, you have, um, oh gosh, well, Vietnam, right? And you have, you know, love, not war movement going on. And so where psychedelics and drugs were on one side of that coin, Mm. you now have people who are trying to cleanse their spirits. Also, to that point, there was like LSD therapy that was being popularized at the time, like really experimental stuff. There was, yeah. Big time. Absolutely. And so this was a movement that was trying to push back on the use of drugs or assistance from pharmaceuticals and Mm. trying to flip that on its head, basically, was a big proponent of that. And you know what's so interesting is if you were to just Google Christian counseling near me or whatever. I'm sure you'll find a number of websites, a number of therapists who are licensed and credentialed and everything. But I guarantee you, like, you're going to find at least one commonality between all of them. And I think that right there just speaks to the difficulties of Christian counseling when it's solely used as 
a theological tool and not mm. actually a psychological tool. And that's using the words like hope and peace and comfort because <laughs> mm. they're they're taking very generic terms and trying to turn it into, well, we're going to use hope-based you know, therapies <laughs> for you, but your situation is very specific. So we're going to just try to apply this very generic and commonly used thing in your very specific situation. And they're trying to theologize something rather than focusing on like the actual psychological issue. Mm -hmm. I think mm. theology and counseling do go together, but when you when you oversee one over the other, you're losing the point of it, you know? Like if you're going to just focus more on the spiritual side, go see a pastor. If you're going to focus mm. more on just the psychological side, then go see a therapist who is not necessarily a Christian-based counselor. If you mm. want to actually have a balance of both, then find someone who actually utilizes both equally. Mm. That was a really nuanced answer. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was awesome. Because like <laughs> what you made me think of is like like someone just preaching a generic hope, like hope for the future, mm -hmm. hope for heaven. Like that is really different from strength-based positive psychology. Like that is very legitimate, yes. but that's very, very distinct. Yes. Mm. But you also made me think of like, uh, I do think with therapy, there is a really good argument to be made for like finding a therapist who works for you and has a, like has at least something important in common with you. And sometimes that is religion. And I think that that is really valid to find if you're going to go to therapy. I think it is really valid to find someone who has a good understanding of like what you're going through. Like for instance, Dan Coke on you have permission here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. he, I think he's a great example. Like what he wants to do with his therapy practice is like focus on people who are coming with religious trauma because he understands mm. like that context. And like, that is totally important. That is, that is so crucial. That's very good. That's very good, man. Especially Emily, the nuance of saying, if you feel like, or if someone helps you identify that it is more of a spiritual need that you have, then seeing a pastor is appropriate, but don't try and confuse the two. And if it's truly a psychological mm -hmm. and even a medical thing that needs to be involved, like oh, seek yeah. out a professional who does that, like a pastor, like you being honest enough to say like, I'm a pastor. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to prescribe medication. Like, right. There are professionals that do that though. So like in my instance, I, so I am certified as a pastoral care provider. I'm not a pastoral care counselor. Mm. I don't have the full licensure for that, but I'm, I am able to provide pastoral care. So what I do is I provide six sessions is what I call them, where people can, can come in and we, you know, kind of do like an intake and we assess what's going on. And if by those six sessions, I determine that this is out of my realm of expertise, or this is something that is actually not a spiritual like emergency or a spiritual situation that needs to be addressed in that way, then I am able to recommend a counselor for that individual. If mm. at the six sessions I see that, no, this really is something that is like a spiritual crisis, but it is something that I'm not able to fully provide care for. I'm able then to provide resources and find actual pastoral care counselors, mm. people who are actually licensed and certified as counselors who provide a pastoral care. So I have a I have a responsibility when assessing people and when talking to people to make sure, one, I'm not stepping out of my realm of expertise, but also making sure that that person is actually receiving the care that they really need and oh. not trying to... That's so good. Not trying to take advantage of the situation, you know, because that that can happen. Yeah, that can happen. So a like lot. Danelle was literally in discord earlier today talking about this where, where someone mentioned in the discord that they were uh, seeking out a therapist and Danelle hopped in there and literally said, like, be sure to talk to them and make sure that they know that you want to work on trauma specifically, because like it's important that you find someone who specializes mm -hmm. in trauma response and like different mechanisms to cope or to like 
come down off the mania or anything like that. Like it's okay to advocate for yourself. I think that that's, Mm -hmm. that's what you're helping like me highlight in my head too, is the fact that like sometimes a pastor isn't right for this. Sometimes like, right. Yeah. (laughs) And and sometimes a therapist isn't right for it. Maybe it is a pastor's position to actually step in here. Um, But that has to do with professionals assessing the actual needs. And Mm -hmm. I just think that is, that is so good to highlight. What do you think? Okay. So I feel like it was really easy for podcasters. Let's say within the last five years to always start mental health conversations with the idea that like Christians stigmatize talking about mental health or that even culture in general, just like it's a stigma Mm -hmm. to talk about mental health. Do you too sense like I do that, that stigma has start at least begun to fall away in the last few years? I want to hear Josh go first. The stigma against like therapy. Yeah. I think so. Like, I think that, I mean, this could just be like my perceptions of like online culture, but I think that Gen Z especially is really therapy positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that could just be a reflection of like the discipline being around for longer today than it sure. was 10 years ago. Well, I mean, like, even the popularization of like betterhelp.com, you know, like the oh, fact yeah, that that totally. exists, it's advertised, like it's a company that networks therapists for internet work. Even the fact that it's just like a part of advertising now seems like it just helps us get over the weirdness of like, yeah, I do. I have a diagnosis of bipolar or I do struggle with depression and anxiety. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just seems so much easier to just be honest about it and just put it. I mean, like, Danelle put that in her question. Like the fact that she has a diagnosis is something that would have been maybe not taboo, but like I feel like it would have been way more vulnerable to ask the question a couple years ago just by the fact that a lot of people would be like, Ooh, do I want to finish this episode? You know? Definitely. Emily, and that's I'm- not to say Danelle wasn't vulnerable either. I want to say, like, I want to clarify that that it was so cool of her to share her voice and a part of her life with us. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. Here is a word from one of our sister shows, Author's Intent. There's just, there's just so much. There's just so much that's different. It's the same story in essence. It's like they boiled it down and they made a LaCroix, a Beauty and the Beast LaCroix. Like they, the story is still somewhat present in the movies, but you're not going to get the full flavor of it unless you read it. And now back to the conversation. Emily, I'm curious, who certifies you in pastoral care and mm. or people that you refer to, like give a, mm-hmm. like give a referral to someone who else who's going to provide like mental health care? Who are they certified by? 
So there's a number of ways you can go about that. So the route that I took was one, it's a, actually part of my degree. Um, we were required to take classes on pastoral care and counseling. But then I went the extra step and I did CPE, which is clinical pastoral education. Um, and that is a board certified, like a board nationwide program uh, that people can participate in where they they go and they do like on the ground work. You're working in prisons, you're working in hospitals, you're working in nonprofits, whatever the case may be. So I did the chaplaincy route of working in hospitals and I had to work a certain number of hours. And we actually had a number of assignments that we had to do where we had to Hmm. write papers, we had to do evaluations of ourselves, we had to do evaluations of patients or even staff. That was one thing that was really cool was we were providing spiritual care for patients. But if we had someone in the hospital staff who needed spiritual care, we also provided care for them as well, which I don't think is highlighted enough. Hmm. When people think of a chaplain, usually they think, oh, it's someone who goes into the patient's room and does last rites or whatever the case may be. Yeah, There were a number of times where I spoke with nurses and doctors and administrators of the hospital because Mm. they were struggling with issues too. Mm. And so we were able to provide spiritual care for them as well. And so we had assignments that we did. We had meetings that we had to attend to. And at the end of it, we were evaluated by our supervisor who was able to then say, yes, you've earned your units, like you are now certified And that's something that you can choose to renew or you can utilize other types of programs and get units from those types of programs as well if you wanted to do something a little different. Um, And so I'm certified and I'm certified until 2023. And then I'm actually going to continue my CPE. I'm going to try and do some remote learning and get Mm. more units. So that way I stay up to date. Wow. I've literally thought about chaplaincy before. As much as I don't think I want to become a pastor... I've like heard a little bit about chaplain work and even just like hearing you talk about it right now, like get something in me going again too. like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it sounds really interesting and like based off of like what I think I'm good at and what I think I like to do, I think that it could be a career potential for me. Like I've just like been thinking more about like career and like life direction lately and I'm intrigued by chaplaincy. It's definitely worth exploring for sure. So beyond like spiritual care, like if you give a referral to someone, um, Mm -hmm. like if you've decided it's like out of your realm somehow, like what kind of certifications do you refer people to? Like, do you look for like a specific like state thing or like? Yeah, I usually look for like state resources. And then if I know, like if like, for example, if someone was dealing with uh, trauma from their past church relationships and they also are dealing with like substance abuse. I'll try to find resources that deal with like substance abuse. So I'll find counselors who are spe- like specialized in providing care for substance abuse. And I try to find like national resources as well. Sometimes like the Methodist church has really good global resources to use. And I usually try to give people those, those packets or those types of information but i really try to stay local too especially because like in cody in particular there's a lot of mental health professionals but they're just not Mm. being utilized which is so sad (laughs) to me um Mm. especially like our youth and children really need help out here at least and so i try to find people who are specialized in working with kids and working with youth um so just paying mind to who is in the area, what their specialties are, and then what's happening even around outside of Cody, what's happening national, like nationally, and what are things that pastors and counselors can do together that we can like share information about. So hmm. I'm curious to kind of pivot toward the the back half of Danelle's question. I've searched long and hard on how to connect my mental illness that I struggle with and I've struggled with my entire life with why God allows this to be in us. What do we think of that idea? Is God allowing it? Yeah. Because we've heard the argument already today. Like we, we don't quite buy, Oh, it's all part of God's plan. Right. Emily, how would you speak to 
Danelle to that idea of like, is God really allowing this or like, cause it, it conjures up moments and images of like Job in my mind of like mm. God telling Satan, like, yeah, test my servant Job. He won't back down, you know, but I don't think I'm not convinced that's how God behaves, even if it is in the Bible. So what do you think? Well, first of all, I think the mental health is a great example of why theology has real life impact and can often, or not often, I shouldn't say often. I think that like, this is a great example of how theology can literally be a life and death situation. Hmm. Like if you are just telling someone that their suicidal ideation is caused by God, then that can mean that that person unalives themselves. And I, I think that like on an abstract level, people can look at a question like, what is God's relationship to the universe? Does God have any causal impact as like a completely useless, like high philosophical question? But like when you get down to something like mental illness and you're like, my depression, does God cause this? Is this somehow a part of God? All of a sudden, that has like way more real world implications. So from my perspective, as someone who thinks that panentheism is a pretty reasonable way to view God's relationship to the universe, if I'm going to believe that the universe is somehow within God and God like has a very direct overlaid relationship to the universe, but somehow God is more than the universe, then somehow me and my experience, be it suffering, physical or mental, is somehow wrapped up in God. Which, to be honest, is not that far of a stretch from like, you believe the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. even then you experience suffering. I do think it's a classic question. Like, I, I think it's basically the question of suffering. Right. I think what I would want to look at is the language of her question. The fact that she says, and I want to go, I want to read it for myself. So why God allows this to be in us. I think that language is so important because two reasons. First, the first thing that I want to ask is how do you see God in your life? Mm. Because when I read language of God allows this, I almost see God is being detached from you, like God is a puppet master rather than having a relationship with God. And so I think when we uh, when we look at how we see God in the first place, we can then start to break down if this is how I see God, then this is how I see God act in my life and this is how I see things unfold in my life. So if you see God as a puppet master, as this guy sitting up in the clouds, then it would make sense that you feel that God is allowing or not allowing things to happen because it's a very detached view of God. And I'm not saying that, Danelle, that you you have a detached view. You may or you may not. I would love to know more and I would love to have a conversation with you about that. But that wording right there, just the first thing I think of is how do you actually see God in your life? Mm. And then I think for that other part of that, how we can allow his love to heal us. That is a really powerful statement because yeah. we, we, I mean, do we allow or does it just happen? That's another, that's another thing we got to think about. Are we mm. in control of allowing God to heal us or does God heal us? And we have no control over how that healing mm. takes place. Oh, that gets me so excited. So two mm. ideas that these uh, these have brought up for me is first of all the idea of like God allowing mental illness to be inside us or really any kind of hardship. Yeah, Josh, I think you put your thumb right on it. Like it, this is the question of suffering. Is like why the hell is this happening? If God is good, if God is love, right? And as much of a joke as it can come off, like I've been posting a lot of process theology memes in the Discord lately, uh, influenced by the idea of Thomas Ord in his book, God Can't, um, along the lines of open mm. and re- relational theology, I actually find a tremendous amount of comfort inside the realm of the problem of suffering in that I believe God in his love and in his desire to so fully give us the dignity of 
self-control and of free will, willingly self-constrained himself to things that he cannot do, even inside the universe that is inside him, Hmm. so that we have the dignity of acting as our own free agents. So as, as counterintuitive as the idea of like, God can't stop the mental health from happening, but on the same token, he is willingly and relationally pouring out the same grief in equal measure for the suffering you experience through it. But he would rather do that and experience that along with us, the beloved, rather than somehow come off as the withholding God who knows your suffering but allows it to happen anyway. So that's that's where I sit with that question. Again, probably counterintuitively, the idea of allowing us to be healed. I think Emily, you you put it perfectly in that me being a good Christian universalist at the same time. I don't, I don't <laughs> know if we need to allow God to heal us. I believe that God in the end will heal and reconcile all things to God's self. Hmm. And whether that feels like a paradox of like, oh, yeah, the dignity of free choice in life and then unconditional love and salvation in whatever afterlife might look like. Like that doesn't seem like a free choice Mm -hmm. to be allowed into glory and paradise and the enjoyment of uh, the universe in that way. Like I agree that does feel like a paradox if I let it sit in my head too long, but sitting in my heart that just feels so right and that and then that's the definition of my faith to me is like i don't understand how that works but that's the most beautiful picture of god that i've ever been given Hmm. i think what i also like about that last part of her question is what do we mean by healing that's a very like heavy Mm. question i understand Mm. that um Mm. do you mean healing in the sense of being cured of your mental illness wow or do you mean healing in the sense of being able to reflect from your past and and work with that trauma and that pain that you experienced and to move forward in a very healing way mm. and to walk with your mental health on this journey of rediscovering yourself of learning how to live and to cope and to to manage emotions and to recognize triggers and to find coping skills mm. and to have faith and to have a loving relationship with God and to rebuild your spiritual side of your life again. Mm. Cause mm. that I think is healing in a way. And I think it's powerful. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's like, it's yeah. like Jacob wrestling with the angel of God. Like he, he was healed of his dislocated hip, but he walked with a limp. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oof. That's very, I just got so excited about God just now, you guys. Ooh. What do you think? This is the other angle I think of, especially when we're we're speaking in terms of allow. First of all, again, I kind of reject that idea that God allows suffering to happen in an active way. He's not selectively choosing, I want Danelle to suffer from bipolar. I want Steven to suffer from bad knees or whatever. Like, it's not an active... God is not in the great trolley problem of mental health. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Whereas, like, it's it, it was more of a cosmic move to say, like, again, affording the dignity of free will. I, as God, will self-constrain God's self in order for my children to have life, essentially. I do think, though, that this experience, this this experience of suffering and this spir- experience of illness, whether it be a virus or whether it be chemical imbalance that causes mental illness. I do still find this as pretty compelling evidence for a concept of the fall, quote unquote, like things feel dislocated or things Mm. feel as if they're not like they should be. How does that strike you? Like you think that, are you saying that you like cosmically believe that Um, that mental health is a result of the fall? Because I have heard people theologize it in that way i i think it could certainly be a possibility now i don't think that fall was triggered by a literal man and woman eating fruit they weren't supposed to i think the fall happens every day Mm -hmm. when we stray from you know when we stray into sin and that being the things that like dislocate us from our relationship with god 
I guess I would agree with you in like a reverse way. Oh. Like, I think that mental health is one of the best examples of people seeing a very common element in humanity and trying to make sense of it. And I think it totally makes sense for early ancient peoples who were trying to theologize a cosmic understanding to like create a narrative that like something must have created this Mm. because this is such a common human element that we're all struggling with somehow. And we're also struggling, like we're just struggling in life. Yeah. And like, surely there has to be like an idealized way this could have been paradise. That's how, that's kind of how I see it. Like, I think it totally makes sense that like people have thought that something bigger could have caused the massive amount of human suffering, mental health included. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. But I don't necessarily think that something Mm. did other than like what you're kind of hinting at in the like everydayness of humanity. Yeah, dude, that was one of the most impactful things my father has ever said to me. We were talking Mm. about the idea of original sin and he was like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really care if it was Adam and Eve's fault because I think I would have eaten the same fruit yesterday too. You know, like I don't need Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve to give me my sin. I believe anyone following Adam and Eve would have done the same, given the same offer from a deceitful serpent, you know? Yeah. Oh, how do you go? Yeah. What do you think, Emily? How do you teach the fall as a pastor? I'm so curious. Oh, geez. Do we have enough time? Huge question at the end of the episode, but hey, we're here. Hot takes at the end. (laughs) Well, I guess I'll I'll make my answer brief. Uh, One of the things that I try to address is that that is a narrative. It is not a biography. That's a good distinction. I That'll like that. preach. That'll preach so hard. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why that does preach for people that have at least told me that it preaches well is that they are able to then actually see themselves in that story rather than feeling like they're reading someone else's story mm-hmm. and that they're detached. Yeah. There's a relational element when we read stories like Adam and Eve and we don't take it at face value. Like we're actually able to critically read that and to say, what is happening here? Let us let's unpack what is happening. And where do I find myself in this story? Like you're able to actually see how you're a part of that narrative. Hmm. Tying it back, though, I think the story actually ties really nicely to mental health. We have two people who experience what I believe would be a spiritual emergency when they're cast out of this paradise and a man is forced to labor the land for all of eternity and a woman is to have a horrible labor for all of eternity, like Mm. you would start to suffer. You would start to question your faith. And I think it is very possible that mental health issues would start to arise. Like we can see these stories and we can see trauma and we can see mental health unfolding before us. And so this isn't like just a modern issue. This is following civilizations before us. And I think like what Josh was saying, like it just shows like the common human experience, like mental health is one of those things that, Mm. yes, it is very unique to the individual, but it is something that we all can experience at some point whether it's through people that we know or us personally, we experience it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fall can be a story to help provide some coping or some healing in a way because we're able to unpack it and to see things unfold. Hmm. I'm sitting with that for a moment. I I wonder if, if people could hear you say what you said about, uh, yeah, well, the consequences were like, toil and work and painful childbirth. And I think I personally, I, I think I still think it's a lazy reading, but on face value, I see where some people might come away with the idea of like, ah, the result of the sin was things. So like to, to tie it all the way back to the top is like, I see how someone builds an incorrect theology based on like, your suffering must be tied to some personal sin mm-hmm. in your life that you have to dive inward mm-hmm. for because, you know, Eve, your pain in childbirth is seems to be tied directly to the action of eating the fruit. I think there are a lot 
better interpretations of that, but I think I see I where definitely. people, <laughs> I see where they can pick that ball up and run with it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Hmm. I have found this experience of a question coming from beyond the three of us so invigorating. Yeah. I have loved this conversation. Oh, love, 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 loved it. And I think, yes, I think Danelle provided us a perfect question to get us kicked off with. So once again, I, I have to say yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your voice and sharing your thoughts in the discord. Our discord is better because you're in it, Danelle. Yeah. Let's see. Anything at the end for us? Any uh, upkeep or anything? I, I, I suppose once again, thank you to uh, Lazar. Is that how you say their name, Josh? Lazare. Lazare. Fun Lazare. fact, it's the French version of Lazarus. Oh. That is so cool. Fascinating. Welcome to the so community, cool. Lazare. I'm sorry I pronounced your name incorrectly. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you in the Discord. Find that link in your email, and uh, we'd love to get you plugged in. Plugged in? Plugged oh in. Oh, my God. I mean, it's <laughs> real, but okay. oh, my God. Okay. Yep. It's true. Who knows? We'll hear Lazare's voice soon on their own Maybe. Question. Yeah. It's a possibility. And if you, too, would like to join the community, if you're listening, you can do so with as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash ravelpod. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RavelPod um, and TikTok. I should mention that, but yeah, we we post some audio of the show on TikTok. Anything else? Any final thoughts before we come out of here? I can't wait, Emily, to see what you do with this benediction. <laughs> yeah how would you uh how would you end this episode? It's questions like this. And coming together in community like this one, where we get to ravel out life, we get to see our faith coming apart and coming together. We get to dive deep and ask really deep questions about life, life experiences, and how God is a part of that. Keep raveling, keep questioning, keep exploring, and just know that we are doing this together. We are always in community together. Dixie Lee Henning, and this is Author's Intent. You know how you have friends, and sometimes those friends are like, hey, have you seen this movie? And then you're like, well, I, I think the book's better. And then you guys get into an argument, and then you stop being friends because of their totally wrong opinions. Well, I liked that feeling so much that I decided to make a podcast about it. So I put in the work, I read the books, I watch the movies, and I tell you the differences between the two and... You know, you can still be friends with that with that friend who thinks that the Hobbit movies are good. They're not. They're not good. But you can stay friends. I'm essentially a mediator in the friend space, you know? I'm here so that you can stay friends with those people, despite their horrible opinions about books and movies. So, you're welcome. Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.